Well, good morning, Faith Fellowship. Welcome back to our series, What's in a Name? For those of you who may be unaware, this is the Calderon family. It's a little hot on the mic. Pablo, Bethany, Carolina, and Camilla Calderon. Pablo was our worship leader from August of 2013 through 2016 when they felt a call to spread the gospel in Romania. We, Faith Fellowship, helped send them to Romania and now support them monthly in their work of the gospel. Now, ever since Pablo and Bethany talked about going to Romania, Joanna and I said, we, we would love to come visit you there once you get settled in. Well, they're certainly settled in by now. They've been there almost, almost eight years. So finally, this year, as part of our 40th wedding anniversary, Joanna and mine, we're going to go over, head over and visit them in Romania and a couple other places as well. We, uh, we're going to be taking over some extra suitcases of items uh, for them. We're waiting for a list from them of things that they would like from the States. And on international travel, everything is limited. We're limited to four suitcases that we can check. There's a limitation on size, the height plus the depth plus the width half can't be any greater than 162 inches. They can't be uh, any heavier than 50 pounds a bag. And yes, if you have ever flown internationally or had to go through customs, this is what happens when you arrive. There is a sea of suitcases that you have to wade through trying to find your own along with every other person from every other flight who is doing the same thing at the same time to try to get into the line to go through customs first. We can't wait. When Frank and I were coming back from from Abaco on our trip, and this story wasn't even in the script, but uh, Seth reminded me of it. We are going through customs. Frank is in front of me. He is talking to the customs agents, and these folks have no sense of humor whatsoever. They don't like jokes. They don't, you know, they deadpan. They just, they ask you information. They want yes, no. Here's what I was doing, and you move on. The customs agent looked at Frank and said, where are you coming from, sir? And before Frank could answer, he said in the most stern of voices, he said, and before you answer, if you say the North Pole, we're going to have issues because Frank looks like Santa Claus with that big white beard. First time I've ever heard a customs agent actually make a joke. So we may be looking for four suitcases. I say may. We will let you know. We don't want a, a flood of suitcases. These would be suitcases that you no longer want because we're not returning them. We're not bringing them back. We're leaving them there. We'll let you know if we need them. Before we dive into their series, I want to remind you, if you missed a message, any message, you can always go to ffcsermons.org where you can listen online, set up a podcast, share it with a friend. You can also go to ffcph.org, click on the live tab, and listen to a previous message, watch a previous message live again from either Facebook or YouTube. Well, let's uh, pray this morning and we'll see what God has for us. Father, we thank you that you are a God of many names, that you are a God full of character, full of purpose, and that each of those names reveals more about your character and how you care for us, how you love us, how you shed your grace and mercy on us through Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are a God we can know. We thank you that you are present here with us today. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Broadcasting system. This is only a test. 
We're required by law now to do that in East Message <laughs> before we stop. Just kidding. Who, who remembers watching that or seeing that on TV right now? If you're young, maybe not so much. I, they still do occasionally broadcast tests in the middle of the night, but it used to be when I was young, they were on all the time. In fact, I, we were just talking about this earlier today. I was telling my granddaughter that, you know, TV used to stop at like 10 o'clock at night. It would just be done for the day, and it would sign off. And as kids, we would stand at the TV and we would watch for the little white dot to finally disappear. Now, you had to have an old CRT TV, one of those big monstrous heavy things that were, you know, three feet deep, two feet wide, and a little screen like this. It was different, you know, and they would do this emergency system all the time. Well, our focus today isn't on an emergency broadcast like that, but on a, on a test of the faith and trust system. We'll be looking at a test of Abraham's faith and how God provided for him at just the right time. Today we're going to consider one of God's better known names, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 tells us what faith is. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The expanded version puts it like this. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. This morning we are going to see a test of faith that rivals anything that we could possibly go through ourselves and just how sure Abraham was as he went through this test. We'll be looking at Abraham to see how God got this name, Jehovah Jireh, and we will use Hebrews 11 to set the backdrop for the story. So let's read, starting in verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Well, we have a problem in our lives, a financial problem, a relationship problem, a property problem, a car problem. What's the first thing that we do? Well, we get to work trying to fix that problem usually on our own. At least that's what, at least that's what I think most men do. It's certainly what I do. Women seem to want to call their friends and talk about the problem and you know have a group discussion of who's run into this problem before and, and they're the first to ask for help and, and trust me that's a good thing i'd rather drive around lost rather than stop and ask a stranger for directions it's admitting defeat and men don't like to do that and if my wife is asleep in the car which she usually is i could be driving in circles for hours only to wake up and have her be really mad at me for why didn't you just stop and ask somebody Asking for help, trusting others, taking them out their word, as we will see today, is anything but a defeat, especially when the person you are trusting 
is God. In any case, our first reaction is to try to solve a problem when we get them. Oftentimes, we're able to solve that problem. We've got a broken car, we take it to the mechanic to be fixed. If we're sick, we go to the doctor to get fixed. If there's an error on our taxes, we go to HR Block to get it fixed, and life goes on. But what about when you can't fix a problem? A loved one dies, you can't fix that problem. You lose your job and you can't seem to find another one. You find out that you can't have children anymore. Then what do you do? For Abraham, in the book of Genesis, he had run into a problem that he could not solve. His wife Sarah was barren, and she couldn't have any children. He had no one to carry on his name. But why does that matter, Jim? Well, it matters because God had promised Abraham he would make a, gen he would make a great nation from him and his descendants. How is he going to do that when he has no descendants? When God first called Abraham to pick up and move, we know that Abraham was 75 years old. And he didn't know where he was going. God had said, he said, I'm going to show you as you go along the way. That alone is faith. He was living in Haran when he had settled, where he had settled with his wife, Sarah. And after leaving Ur, that's where he originally started out from. That's the name of the city, Ur. God, God took him to the land that God would show him in Canaan. Hundreds of miles by foot. We're talking 700 miles away from the land of Ur on foot. But remember, his wife was barren and he had no heirs. So what did he do? Well, he turned to God for help. Abraham began to wonder and to ask God, God, how exactly are you going to keep your promise when I have no heirs? And God did indeed help him and answer him. But it took years of faithfully waiting on God for it to finally happen. Mistakes were made along the way. But in the end, 25 years later, God calls Sarah, now 90 years old, to become pregnant. And Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Isaac was special. He was blessed. He was loved by Abraham and by God. And you have to understand, Abraham had gone from waiting in faith to finally, after so many years, walking in the blessing of what God had promised. He had received what he had been promised and what he had been asking for, an heir. Not just an heir, but Isaac was his visual, his tangible means to see God's promise fulfilled in his life. You might say he was sitting on the sunny side of the street, on the, camping out on the beach, you know, drinking a, a nice cold beverage, breathing in the fresh air. Life is good. Think for a minute. What's your worst nightmare? What is it? I don't mean just a bad dream. My wife used to have two recurring nightmares. My wife's nightmares were either that she was being chased down the street by an enormous chicken or a roll of toilet paper that was unrolling and chasing her down the street. Now, I don't know what either of those dreams mean, but she would talk about them in her sleep. I could keep her going for five to ten minutes. I mean, a huge chicken. What a foul dream to have. <laughs> got to go for the got to go for the bird joke right toilet paper we're going to leave that one alone no i mean what's the worst possible thing that could happen to you what would it be like your worst case scenario it's a scary thought a friend of mine at work had been back to work since christmas this past christmas after recovering for months from a brain hemorrhage i talked to him on friday the 16th of february that evening, his wife found him unconscious on the floor of their home. He never regained consciousness, and by the following Thursday, the 22nd, he had passed away. 
I had the uh, chance to visit him in the hospital, to give him a Bible, to share some scripture with him. I don't know where he is. I, I trust that God does and that maybe I'll see him in heaven. Maybe it's the thought of losing a child. Hebrews 11 continues for us in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. For Abraham, his worst case scenario had come true. He thought he was going to lose his only son, Isaac. As he walked up the mountain in Moriah, every step must have felt like a, a thousand pounds of weight. But he kept marching forward, trusting God even then. Because he knew who his God was, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I think this historic account out of which we get the name Jehovah Jireh rises, that where, from where it rises, is one of the most moving and significant in the Word of God. It's an account of the last and greatest crisis in the life of Abraham. Every event in his life had led up to this supreme hour. From the time of his first call by God, through every circumstance, through every joy, through every trial or failure, through every measure of success and blessing, through every hope and promise and assurance, all had been in preparation for this event. The greatest promise had been fulfilled. The, su the supreme hope of his life had been realized. And then this happens. Let's look at that passage in Genesis 22. It's a little bit long, and in fact, we'll actually wind up reading through it twice. But let's get there and see what God has for us. Sometime later, we're dropping in on Abraham's life when he's about to be tested. God said, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of, of uh, Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he, sent, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay him, to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. 
Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, that's Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Your descendants will take possession of their cities, their enemies. They will be blessed because you have obeyed me. We often say that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, and that is certainly true. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, so that no one can boast. No one can say, I did this on my own. But it is also true from James that faith without works is dead. We often talk about how Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, which is certainly true. It's in God's word. It's in black and white. Genesis 15, 6, James 2, 23. Yet in Genesis, we also see that Abraham received the promise only after he had obeyed God by being willing to offer up everything to God, even his own son. Otherwise, his faith would have been without works and dead. His faith came together and was expressed as works as Abraham went up to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. But God stopped him and said, I myself will provide. That is the name of our God for today. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Or the God who does provide. You see, faith isn't a leap into the dark. It's stepping into a promise based on solid evidence and experience. God had made Abraham a promise over his life. And Abraham was believing that promise. He had seen God be faithful to his word. Faith today for us isn't just saying, I finally have become a believer. Now I'm going to leap off the cliff into the dark. No, faith is I've become a believer and I found out that God has spoken promises over my life. And now I'm going to actually step into the agreement with God, into the promise that God has spoken over my life. There was a chorus that I used to sing in Sunday school in a church that I grew up. And it said, it went like this. This is the verse. It was only one verse. It said, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. All the blessings of his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. What the enemy wants to do today is to cause you to have amnesia and forget the promises that God has spoken over your life. Forget the faithfulness of God in your life. He wants to deteriorate your confidence in what God is going to do in your future. But if our faith stays active, if it produces work, it's the natural byproduct of faith. As Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, I give thanks for you, for your work produced by faith, for your labor prompted by love, for your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Then that faith stays active with full impact for our daily lives. And it keeps propelling us to continue to step in to the promises of God. Abraham left his land. He was in advanced years. His wife was barren, and yet God promised him he was going to have a son, and that through this son, all the people of the earth would be blessed. But we see in the text, once this miracle happened, 
once he stepped into that promise and it became a reality, God put him to the test. And the test is, are you willing to put your son on the altar? That's the story that unfolds for us in Genesis 22 that we just read. Notice it says in verse 2 of Genesis 22, Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Now let's just stop there and solve problem number one. We know from earlier in Genesis that Abraham already had a son because he had taken a, a side trip, so to speak, trying to bring about God's promise by himself and at his wife Sarah's direction. And with her servant Hagar, and as a result, Ishmael was born. And so there's another son already in this story. So why does God keep saying, take your son, your only son? Well, a couple of reasons. One, in the text right before Genesis 22, Abraham had sent Hagar and Ishmael away. And in that culture, that was a cutting off of a relationship. It wasn't that he didn't love Ishmael, he did. But God had said it's the right thing to do. Ishmael was Abraham and Sarah's attempt to bring about God's promise in their own strength. And when we try to take matters into our own hands because we think God isn't going fast enough, he's going too slowly, good things do not happen. Anybody ever do that? Come on, God, get, pick up the pace. What are you waiting on? We should be done already. We got to be faithful and wait. God held true to his promise that the descendants of Abraham, even Ishmael, would become a great nation. But the result of Abraham and Sarah's meddling is that the descendants of Ishmael would be an animosity with the descendants of Isaac. Who were Ishmael's descendants? They are the Arab nations today. Who are Isaac's descendants? They are the Jews. Need I say more? Just turn on the news. More importantly, what God was saying is that the son of promise, the son through whom God would bless the whole world and the people of the earth, that son was going to come through Sarah. And with Sarah, you only have one son. That's the son that is in this passage. Isaac is the only son of promise that is in this story. And so he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will show you. For those of you who may be new to faith, a new believer, or you haven't read the Bible much, or maybe even if you're not new to faith, it seems crazy that God would even go down this road. But in the context of the day, Abraham's day, it was not unheard of that someone would sacrifice a child to a God, not to our God. Yahweh, Jehovah, found that detestable. He said it was abhorrent. But to a pagan God, this was normal. The Canaanites would sacrifice their children, sometimes their firstborn, male, female, for example, to God. It wasn't a completely foreign concept that this should come up. If you'll stay with the story, a little bit later you'll understand that God really isn't asking Abraham to kill his son. He's putting him to the test. And so it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place he had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham, if you didn't catch it, is having a faith moment. Because he knows that both he and Isaac are going to go up this mountain and both he and Isaac are going to return. We know it's a faith moment because according to what we read in Hebrews, in an even crazier scenario, 
which I don't think Abraham believed would happen. It says this, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Even if he had to kill his son, he reasoned, well, he said it was going to come through Isaac. God could raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. In that scenario, Abraham believed that he and Isaac would still return, regardless of how the two of them were going to go up the mountain and come back down together. He believed that he and his son would return to the servants. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. We learn from this, by the way, that Isaac is not a little boy. Abraham is not going to pile all the wood he needs for a sacrifice onto a five- to seven-year-old child. To sacrifice even a child that small or that large would take a considerable amount of wood. Here, you carry all this up the hill. What kid could do that? Without getting into the hows and whys and the debate, it's most likely that Isaac was 18 to 20 years old. He was a young man. And as this story unfolds, that's going to become important as we get to the top of the mountain. In verse 7, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. That's Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. First, let me say, if there's anyone thinking today, I don't know if I could believe or trust in a God who would call someone to to give their own son on an altar of sacrifice. Well, hold that thought. We're going to try to wrap that up as we end today. Secondly, let's think about what happened on that mountain. We've got a guy who we know is over 100 years old and a young man who's perhaps 20. So Isaac's age adds an interesting dimension to this story. If he was strong enough to carry the wood up the mountain and to take care of himself and perhaps his elderly father who only carried the fire and a knife, then he was probably strong enough to resist being sacrificed and to fend off Abraham if he wanted to. The fact that Isaac allows himself to be bound and placed on the altar shows that Isaac would have joined forces with his father. A 20-year-old is not going to get thrown down by a 120-year-old man. And some, so, so somehow, in, in his thinking, in his understanding, in the conversations that Abraham had with God and seeing God's faithfulness, Abraham had passed those stories on to his son. Isaac had grown up 
in the same faith. And now the conversation is unfolding and he's asking the question, where's the lamb? Abraham answers, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. He doesn't know how, but he's putting his faith in action and trusting God. He doesn't know that this is only a test of the emergency faith system. He has faith and he hopes that it is. But isn't that when faith is put to the test, when we don't know what's going to happen and we have to trust and believe anyway? They're getting down to the the hairy last moment. There is no lamb. And Abraham says, look, son, this is the story. And Isaac says, wow, if this is the test and this is the step and this is us believing God, then, Dad, we're going to believe God together. Are we passing on a faith that strong to our children? And God provides a ram caught in a bush. God always comes through when we respond in obedience and faith. And so in that moment, Abraham called a place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Notice that he doesn't call God Jehovah Jireh. He calls the place Jehovah Jireh. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. That is Jehovah Jireh. I thought that was odd. What's even more odd is that if you do a search through the scriptures for the original Hebrew word that's translated as provides, that's translated for for Jireh, and it shows up throughout all of the Old Testament, you will find that this is the only place in all of scripture that it's translated provides. Everywhere else it is translated as sees or seen or saw. So a little translation would be that Jehovah sees and provides. On the mountain of the Lord, Jehovah sees. God wants to see our faith in action. Peter says in his first letter, and he's talking about testings and trials, just like what Abraham is going through. He says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When God sees our faith, He provides. Abraham did not hold back from God his very best. Maybe it was his worst-case scenario, but he didn't hold back. He stepped into faith and found the promises of God do not fail. And that that is what God is asking of you and me today. Do we trust him to the degree that we will offer our very best. We will offer to him what is nearest and dearest to our hearts that we hold onto the tightest. Stepping into faith allows us to see and experience the promises of God. The rest of our time together, I want to leave with you four things that I think God wants every one of us to walk away with today. Number one, it is not like unlike God to test you. When we face a trial and a difficulty, we usually move into a mode of unrest and uncertainty. We begin to wonder, is there something wrong with me? Am I not on the path to God? Because look at all these trials. Why is all of this happening? When the situation we're facing might actually be God testing us. And when he tests us, here's the key. God doesn't test us so that he can find out what we're made of. God tests us so that we can find out what he's made of. Amen? When he puts us in a hard spot, he's not inviting you to take a step into the promise so that he, God, can see that you stepped into promise. 
No, he is, he is doing so that when you step into the promise, you're stepping into a promise and you're finding a God who keeps his word, who is faithful to everything that he has said. I think a lot of us don't know as much about God, about God's faithfulness and what he wants to know about that because we thought every time that a test came, it was a hurdle that we should run away from, that we should avoid, not something by faith that we should go over or through. Don't throw away your confidence just because there's a test. Just because God asked you to put the most valuable thing in your life on the altar. If you hang in there, you get to see the faithfulness of God. And then you get to name that place where that test happened. Jehovah Jireh. God provides. God provided. Number two, worship team, you can make your way back up. Faith is about acting not standing still. God wants to move, make sure that we are moving in a forward direction and that we are not becoming complacent in our faith. He could have stopped when Abraham left Haran. He could have stopped several times in Abraham's life when Abraham obeyed, but he kept on testing him. And he keeps calling us into a deeper walk of faith as he tests us. The third thing that God wants us to see is that this test isn't only to deepen our faith, but it is to make us a conduit for God's greater work in the world. It's not just about us. This test with Abraham includes ultimately you and me. Everybody on the planet will be blessed because through Isaac will come Jesus. And through Jesus, salvation comes to all who believe in him. God has chosen us. I don't know why, but he's chosen us to be his plan A to spread the gospel, to love and care for one another, to bear each other's burdens as brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we living with open hands and hearts and minds? Do we believe that God still wants to grow us in our faith? To discover Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. I guarantee you Pablo and Bethany see that on almost a daily basis. Abraham's test was not about him alone. It impacted everybody all the way down to you and me. And your faith isn't about you alone either. It's not for your own benefit. Lastly, this test, this particular test, was to provide a picture of the ultimate provision of God on the mountain of the Lord. Just like God provided the ram to replace Isaac, so God provides Jesus to pay off our debt of sin. God's own faithfulness results in the sacrifice of His only begotten Son to take away the sin of the world. God Himself did not hold back His best. That's a God worth knowing. That's a God who provides that's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. John says in his gospel, reading from the message, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go, didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. You've been introduced to that Son, Jesus Christ. He came to pay your debt of sin to make sure that you could be made right again with God, a relationship restored. You have a choice. It's a yes or no choice. If you walk out of here today saying, I'll think about it, 
You've already made the choice of no. You don't know what a day will bring forth. You don't know if tonight you'll collapse at home and not wake up again. That choice is real, and it's here. And Jesus stands offering you new life, offering you a relationship with a God who you can know, Jehovah Jireh, a God who will provide.